Today is Wednesday, June the 15th, 2022, and it's a great day to have a day here on the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. And on today's show, guys, we continue along with our top five series today. I'm talking top five best wide receivers in Carolina football history. Guys, first things first, we'll break down your listener responses, and I'll count down my list five through one and detail my reasoning behind each of my selections. Also, we got a fantastic conversation with former South Carolina third baseman Adrian Morales as Adrian joins me to detail his illustrious career in Garnet and Black. Also talk college baseball, his current coaching career, the outlook of South Carolina baseball moving forward. Much, much more from there as well, guys. We have got a packed show for you here on this Wednesday. And of course, as always, it's brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. And when you do, use the promo code SPURSUP at checkout for $20 off your first purchase of any purchase of $50 or more. Guys, they've got tickets to anything and everything you can think of, whether it be sporting events, concerts, comedy club events, you name it, they got it. They've also got what's called a deal score to help you make sure you're getting the best bang for your buck, guys. What they do, they're going to tell you exactly where you're sitting, how much you're spending, and whether you're getting a steal, you're overpaying, you're getting ripped off, so you have all the confidence you need when you click that buy button. So again, guys, that's our friends over at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com, and when you do, use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase of any purchase of $50 or more. Let's get it. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Gentlemen, boys and girls, happy Wednesday, happy hump day. Hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show. As always, we have got a packed show for you here on this Wednesday, and it is hot. Uh, that, that is not breaking news to anyone 
But the AC is working overtime this week. We got temperatures in the 100s. Even yesterday, we had rain, and then it was 100 late in the afternoon. So listen, I understand this is a normal thing for us. We are used to the heat, and I am someone that loves the summertime. I love the heat, love beating the heat by going out to the pool, lake, beach, whatever it might be. But man, it is really, really, really Really hot outside. So whatever you do, guys, stay hydrated. Try to stay out of the heat as much as you can and uh, take care of yourselves. Again, we don't need anybody passing out from heat exhaustion. I'll tell you what, this could be great practice, though, for early on in the football season. Maybe this weekend we'll have like a practice tailgate. We go out there at like 8 in the morning and deal with the heat, and you guys can have your cold beverages and get on the grill and stuff like that because, again, as we all know, uh, early on in the football season at Wiggins-Rice Stadium, especially I'm thinking of that noon kickoff against Georgia, it – is going to be hot. Death, taxes, and scorching temperatures for a high noon kickoff at Williams-Brice Stadium. But again, guys, either way, appreciate you all tuning in. Like I said, hope this show does find you, no matter where you are, what you're doing. And I hope you're having a fantastic week. A lot to get into here on this show. Before we do, quick reminder, we are live tonight at Tin Roof, 6 to 8, taking your questions, your comments, and yes, your calls as well. As I told you guys on Monday and last week also, I realized, I don't know how this happened, because we're running up on our year anniversary at Tin Roof doing these live shows. And of course, when we do the Daily Crow, right, I take calls and we have the plug-in in my interface. I have the plugins, the technology to take the calls over the airwaves. I never understood and never realized that we also had that capability at Tin Roof up until last week, which is just crazy that I didn't think to ask sound guy Phil. I didn't think to ask anybody about it, but we are able to take calls and the audience at Tin Roof will be able to hear those calls as well. So again, a brand new dynamic basically for the Tin Roof show. We'll be there six to eight, $3 drafts, $3 rumple, $3 fireball as well. Great food, great people, great times. Again, it's always a fun time on Wednesday nights at Tin Roof in the Vista. So again, guys, come on out. We'd love to see you there. And if you cannot come out in person, you can tune into the live stream, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch, but would love to see you guys out in person. Also, guys, a very, very exciting update, some breaking news, if you will, that I want to share with you all um, as we continue to grow on the business side and certainly the merchandise side of things, you're going to start to see the Spurs Up Show merchandise in more and more and more retail locations. Of course, as many of you are familiar, we do have our merchandise currently at Rivals in Florence, South Carolina, which we really appreciate those guys. Well, I am very proud to announce that you will now be able to find the Spurs Up Show merchandise, at least starting out the Beamer Ball merchandise, specifically at Todd and More Sporting Goods in downtown Columbia, South Carolina. So again, we are working on that order right now. That should be there in the next two to three weeks. But again, really, really excited to again grow the business via the merchandise and specifically the Beamer Ball merch as well. Obviously, our most popular piece of merch we've ever created. So again, really, really excited. Appreciate the opportunity from those fine folks at Todd Moore. And again, I want to share that success. I want to share that exciting news with you all. If you guys love the merchandise and you're looking for some Beamer Ball merch to get you ready for the football season, look no further than Todd and more in downtown Columbia. Again, I'm sure you all are very familiar with Todd Moore, but if you're not, check them out. They're right in downtown. If you're in town for a game day, you're just in town for Columbia, whatever it might be, Todd and Moore, the spot to go. They are now carrying our TSUS merch, specifically the Beamer Ball merchandise. So again, Really, really exciting stuff for the merch, for the business as a whole, for everything we do, man. It's incredible, and it's truly a blessing. And I really do, again, appreciate Todd Moore for giving us the opportunity to carry our merchandise 
in there. Um, anyways, guys, on that note, exciting stuff happening, exciting stuff going on. And we got an exciting show for you as we continue along the top five series, guys. Today, we're talking top five best wide receivers in counter football history. Now, this is one that's exciting because it is going to be a very highly debated list. And I feel like just talking about the top five, it's such a short list because there's been so many great wide receivers in counter football history. You know, I'm not sure I'd go as far to call us wide receiver you or anything like that but South kind of certainly I would say is either wide receiver you or DBU when you look at the great players they put in the NFL just the the great players that have worn the garnet and black that have contributed I mean it's a long long list of great wide receivers and I want to start out first with your responses because there were some great responses from you all uh let's see starting on Twitter Bell Agent Zero said Alshon Cooper, Debo, Jaheim Bell, and Shy. So Jaheim Bell getting a vote of confidence, and he's not even done with his career yet. My guy, Hustle and Crow, again, shout out to him, putting together a full-on graphic for this. He's got his 10 best receivers in kind of history. He goes 1 through 10. Alshon, Sterling Sharp, Sidney Rice, Brian Edwards, Kenny McKinley, Debo Samuel, Jermel Kelly, Troy Williamson, Zola Davis, and Bruce Ellington. So again, appreciate Hustle and Crow and shout out to Hustle and Crow for putting in such effort in these responses with the graphic. Uh, underscore Gamecock underscore on Twitter says Sharp, Brooks, Rice, Jeffrey, and Kenny. Henry Doty says Alshon, Sterling, Rice, Edwards, McKinley. Uh, Evan says Sharp, Jeffrey, Debo, Rice, Cooper. Billy says Sharp, Rice, Jeffrey, Debo, Kenny. And also says Just Missed the Cut, Farrow, and Edwards. Over to Facebook. Over to Facebook. Greg Alexander says Alshon, Sharp, Rice, Farrow, Debo. Again, a lot of these guys very typical answers and names you're going to hear over and over. Alan Pruitt says one through three, Sterling Sharp, four and five, Robert Brooks. Tyler West says Alshon Sharp, Sidney Rice, Kenny McKinley, Tory Gurley. Tory Gurley getting a vote. How about that? Appreciate Tory, by the way. Hunter Vincent, Alshon, Sidney, Sterling, Kenny McKinley are the four that should be on every list. The fifth spot is a toss-up. Ben Tyson says five through one, Brian Edwards, Robert Brooks, Alshon, Sidney, and Sterling Sharp. Richard Vaughn, Alshon, Sterling, Sidney, Again, a lot of these, Travis Ford, Coach Ford, shout out to Coach Ford for leaving his opinion. Alshon Sharp, Rice, Farrow, and Bethay, one through five. Dark Horse, he says, Pitchko. And again, guys, there's a ton of other responses. Uh, the interesting, how about this? Robert Ron says, Brian Edwards, he's got him number one. Um, Ryan Bethay getting some mention. So anyways, what's so interesting about the selections here, guys, and what makes my list really intriguing And again, the beauty is in the banter when it comes to these top five lists, because I think you can tell what era people became Gamecock fans, because the folks that will so adamantly fight for Sterling Sharp as their number one guy, they most likely grew up and watched Sterling Sharp in his prime. For the newer Gamecocks that came around early 2000s, beginning of the Spurrier era, Most of them point to either Sidney Rice or Alshon Jeffrey. So it's interesting to see how the answers differ in regards to who should be number one from the different generations of Gamecock fans. With that being said, guys, let's go ahead and dive into my top five best pass catchers in Carolina football history. And we start at number five. And this guy wasn't necessarily flashy, but he simply just got the job done. And, you know, he did not have – all of these guys had big moments at some point, but he did not quite have the laundry list of big moments and big catches that four through one had. Now, I don't think that is all his fault due to the era in which he played and the coach for which he played, right? 
But when you look back at his career and you look back at the numbers and you look back at the statistics, you have to give this man his just due. Because again, this five spot is very, very, very competitive. There's a lot of guys you could put here at number five. And again, while he wasn't the flashiest player, it's been a long time since I can really recall a guy. And I guess you can make a case that each of the guys on this list did this, but how often or how how rare is it that a guy comes in and it feels like at least he's the number one receiver from the time he steps foot on campus to the time he leaves. But that was the case with this gentleman at number five. Again, coming in at fifth, he played at South Carolina from 2016 to 2019. He had 234 receptions for 3,045 yards, 22 total touchdowns. He leads South Carolina all time in receiving yards with that 3,045 yard mark. Folks, my fifth best pass catcher in Carolina football history, Brian Edwards. And again, guys, I talked about Edwards and he had some great catches. Don't get me wrong, but he just wasn't really that flashy guy. And again, I think a lot of it is because of the teams he played on. I think a lot of it is because of playing under Will Muschamp and the issues, by the way, that he dealt with at the quarterback position. Still, though, you look at those numbers over his four-year career, the guy was as solid and consistent as they come. Never had a 1,000-yard receiving year. But again, you look back, 590 as a freshman, 793 as a sophomore, 846 as a junior, and 816 as a senior. His touchdown totals went four, five, seven, and six, and he would have set the touchdown record. He only played 10 games his last season. He would have broken that touchdown record had he not got injured at the end of his South kind of career. Uh, again, I don't think he's the best receiver all time. I don't think he even cracks the top four, obviously. But I think this is a guy, when you look at the numbers, you look at the statistics, you've got to include in your top five. Again, the guy's name is literally on the turnstiles at williams Bryce Stadium. So, guys, again, for me, number five, the fifth best wide receiver in kind of football history, Brian Edwards. Coming in at number four, the fourth best pass catcher to ever wear the garnet and black. And this is someone whose impact truly went beyond the field and someone that I feel is a very underrated player because his numbers don't jump out as, you know, someone that you look at and say, well, you know, he, he's ranked, he, he has the most this, has the most that, that. Although you look at receptions, you look at receptions, and he is second all time with 207. But the impact he made on his teammates, the impact he made, of course, on the field for kind of football, but a larger-than-life type of personality and a smile that you will never forget. Again, guys, this guy played for South Carolina from 2005 to 2008 during his career. 207 catches, as I mentioned, 2,781 yards, 19 touchdowns. And again, someone that we still feel his impact to this day Rest in peace. Coming in at number four, the fourth best wide receiver in kind of football history, the late, great Kenny McKinley. And again, I, I look at Kenny's career, right? I look at Kenny's career, and I just think he's someone, when you think about his durability, you think about his versatility, and you think about the numbers he put up with the musical chairs that was at quarterback during that time. Because, of course, guys, early in the Spurrier tenure, South Carolina had a lot of uncertainty and a, and a very great lack of stability, I should say, under center. Still, 
Kenny McKinley was as solid as they come. He was explosive. He was damn near unguardable at times. And he's certainly someone that has left an impact on South Carolina football. And it's such a shame that obviously his life came to an early end. What was, I think, like 2011 or 2012 or something like that. But uh, we will never forget the late, great Kenny McKinley, one of the greatest Gamecocks in school history. And for me, guys, he is the fourth best wide receiver in Carolina football history. Coming in at number three. And this is where the debate is really going to get heated. Because like I said, you can really tell what era or what generation of Gamecock fan you are by who you rank three, two, and one. For me, coming in at number three, this man played at South Carolina, and I'm going to give it away by the years, 1983 to 1987. He had totaled 169 catches for 2,497 yards and 17 touchdowns. He also ran 41 times for 205 yards and five touchdowns during his career. His number is also retired at South Carolina, the number two. And you look back at some of the marks, he ranks fourth all-time in single-season yardage in 1986, 1,106 yards, again, the fourth-best mark in school history. He's fourth all-time in receiving yards. I mentioned 2,497. Um, you look at the other marks he had uh, receiving touchdowns, he ranks eighth all-time or tied for eighth with that 17. And this is a guy that's going to be argued by a lot of people, especially the fans that grew up during that era, especially the fans. They watched him in his prime, and I wish – I wish more than anything I could have, but unfortunately, I did not get the opportunity to watch this man during his prime. But the third best wide receiver in Carolina football history for me is Sterling Sharp. And again, guys, I know many folks, I know a lot of the older Gamecock fans right now are kicking and screaming and throwing their phones and punching their computers and raising hell right now. I already know my mentions on social media are going to be an absolute mess, right? And again, Sterling Sharp is an all-time great. I mean, we are really splitting hairs on three, two, and one. But you look at the numbers, guys, and when Sterling Sharp's number, in my opinion, was retired, yes, at that time, guys, that 17 receiving touchdowns he had was a school record. It was a school record at that time. But since then, those numbers have been shattered. Heck, I had somebody yesterday tell me they felt like he was not even the best receiver on his own team. There's some folks that argued Ryan Bethay may have been better on his own team with him. I won't go that far. But it took him four years to get to 17 touchdowns. The two gentlemen ahead of him, 23 touchdowns, and they did it in one and two less seasons, respectively. Again, this is not to take anything away, right? This is not to take anything away from the greatness that is Sterling Sharp right? Shannon Sharp himself has even said it. Hey, I wasn't even the best athlete in my own family. If Sterling Sharp stayed healthy, he's probably an NFL Hall of Famer. But when it comes to South Carolina, and I've watched the highlights, guys, and again, I wish I could have watched Sterling Sharp play during his prime, play in person, because the dude looks like a gazelle when he's running. I mean, a freakish athlete. But for me, he's not ahead of the two guys that I'm about to uh, talk about 
He's not ahead of those two guys. So for me, guys, the third best wide receiver in Carolina football history, Sterling Sharp. Number two, my second best wide receiver in South Carolina football history. And guys, I'll tell you what, for these next two, I could really do a 1A, 1B. I could do a 1A, 1B. This man played at Carolina for just two seasons. He only played two years, 2005 to 2006. But get these numbers. During his career, 142 catches for 2,233 yards. In just two seasons, he had 23 touchdown catches. And while he may not be number one on this list, guys, I would argue he is the greatest cheat code in Gamecocks football history, and he may be the most unguardable player to ever play the position. My second best pass catcher to ever wear the garnet and black, none other than the great Sidney Rice. And guys, I'll tell you this. Had Sidney played a third year, had he come back in 2007, to me, Sidney Rice is the greatest wide receiver in school history, and it's not even close. I was damn near tempted to put him number one anyways. But when you look at longevity of career, and it just, you know, the guy only played two seasons, right? Still, his greatness is understood. You go back and watch the highlights. You go back and watch the tape. Of course, this was the very beginning of the Spurrier era. And Sidney was a guy. You could literally throw the ball up anywhere. And he was coming down with it, right? And when you talk about generations of Gamecock fans, maybe it is recency bias because Sidney Rice, I would probably say Troy Williamson, was the first great Gamecocks wide receiver that I recall. Certainly, like I told you guys, I became a diehard fan, end of 02, beginning of 03. So Troy Williamson was really the first one for me. But Sidney Rice was probably my first favorite Gamecock, right? The guy that I really latched to. I had a number four jersey, for crying out loud. And again, you look at those numbers and what he did in two seasons. If he plays a third, guys, in my opinion, it's not even close. He's undoubtedly the best wide receiver in school history. And you talk to guys that played during that era I have, and they will vouch for that same exact thing. They will vouch for Sidney Rice is the greatest wide receiver of all time at South Carolina. For me, though, I'm going to put him at number two, my second best wide receiver in Carolina football history, Sidney Rice, which leads us to number one, my best all-time pass catcher to wear the garnet and black, guys. When you talk about statistics and you talk about what he did on the field, but also just the big moments in which he did them, that to me is what really separates this man. He played for the Gamecocks from 2009 to 2011, hauled in 183 catches for 3,042 yards, a school record, by the way, and 23 total touchdowns. It was highlighted by his 2010 campaign when South Carolina went to the SEC Championship. 88 catches, which I believe, yes, let's double check. Uh, yes, that is a school record for a season. 88 catches. He also set a record in that season for single-season receiving yards, 1,517, right? And nine touchdowns, again, helped leading the Gamecocks to Atlanta, the only appearance in school history. Guys, my number one, my best, the greatest wide receiver in Carolina football history is Alshon Jeffrey. And again, you look at the statistics, they jump off the page. I mean, we're talking about a guy, again, 
that is only three yards shy of Brian Edwards, by the way. He's only three yards shy of the all-time receiving yardage record. He holds the record for single-season yards in 2010. He holds the record. He's tied with Sidney Rice, by the way, for receiving touchdowns in a career with 23. Okay. He is, let's see, he's tied for seventh with single-season receiving touchdowns with nine. Um, You know, he's all over the place when it comes to the top of the statistical rankings. And again, single-season receptions, 88. He's third all-time with receptions with 183. But it's not just the numbers. It's the moments in which he did them. And when you think about individual plays, we all think back to Alabama, right? The one-handed catch. And that memory, that moment, that still image, that lives on forever. You think of the great moments and the great victories and, and all the plays he made for South Carolina in that 2010 season, right? You think of all the plays he made over that three-year career and really helping to start not only a five-game winning streak over Clemson, but to start the greatest run in the history of Carolina football. Again, when you mix all those things together, the statistics, the great moments, the clutch factor, to me, it's 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 close. It's close. I'm not going to lie. It's close between Alshon and Sydney. But to me, because of longevity of career and those great moments that I mentioned, Alshon Jeffrey stands atop the mountain as the greatest pass catcher in Carolina football history. So again, guys, that is my top five. Number five, Brian Edwards. Number four, Kenny McKinley. Number three, Sterling Sharp. Number two, Sydney Rice. And number one. Alshon Jeffrey. I know this is going to be a list that will be highly, highly debated. And the beauties in the banter. I want to hear from you. What are your thoughts? What's your top five? Where do you agree? Where do you disagree? Would love to hear from you guys. So again, hey, that's going to do all for me. But we have got a fantastic convo upcoming. I've had Adrian Morales on the show before. He is a friend of the show and a fantastic human being. Always a good time. This is a dude that will make you want to run through a brick wall i'm telling you so guys sit back relax enjoy fantastic combo upcoming and it's brought to you by our friends over at prize picks guys if you're not on prize picks you're leaving money on the table it's the simplest fantasy game on the market focused around prop total entries guys when you sign i said injuries didn't i entries not injuries good lord entries when you sign up today using the promo code tsus you're going to receive a 100 instant deposit match up to one hundred dollars and guys it's so easy to play when you go download the app or go to pricepicks.com what you do is this you pick two to five players and you can win up to 10 times on any entry price picks has no sharks optimizers or mass multi-entry guys it's just you against the projection price picks also this is really cool they allow mixed sports injury entries i keep saying injuries why is that they allow mixed sports entries so what that means is this you can put in a bet where you play NBA, MLB, and college baseball all at the same time. So if you like multiple picks over multiple sports, you can play them all at once. You don't have to stick to one sport. Also, there's literally no other site that offers prop plays on college athletics, which is the huge draw I know for many of us. Uh, Prize picks also, guys, 
has a slick, easy-to-use mobile app, both on the App Store and Google Play, and they're 4.8 stars rated in the App Store with rave reviews. Again, guys, Prize Picks is the way to go. Hey, there's money to be made. It's low-hanging fruit. Why not go sign up today at prizepicks.com and or download the Prize Picks app. And when you do, use that promo code TSUS at sign up for a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. And again, guys, we appreciate our friends over at Prize Picks for the love and support. Guys, again, that's going to do all for me. Appreciate you all tuning in. Hope to see you out at 10 Roof tonight. In the meantime, have a great rest of your Wednesday and enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks third baseman, Adrian Morales. There's a difference in having a year like 2009 Carolina, where you go to East Carolina and you get knocked out in the regionals, and that's a shitty year. Then there's a difference between that and going under 500. Like that's that's like I can't even comprehend that really. Like going under 500, bro. Like that's and you and you you watched a lot of the games. What, what do you think? I mean, I watched them all. I watched them all. Right, right. So yeah. what do you, what do you, what do you again? The pitching was they were hurt, right? Right. They were they were hurt certainly. I mean, it, you know, they, they were hurt. You lose two out of your three weekend guys. Anybody's going to struggle. Look at Mississippi State. I mean, they went from winning the national title to they didn't even make the conference tournament. So you lose Bosnick, you lose James Hicks, like the second weekend of the year. And, you know, there aren't many teams that are going to just bounce back from that and be okay. But it's just the hitting, man. You're, you're hitting 260. Like, you're not a scary – you're the furthest thing from a scary lineup. The, the, you can just see the wheels turning when guys are up there, I think. I, I think it's just I, – I don't know exactly. I mean, I was a pitcher in college. I, I'm not going to act like I was some stud hitter or whatever. But, like, I feel like when it comes to pitching – Stuff is stuff. You throw 95, you throw 95. I mean, you can figure it out from there. Hitting is so fucking mental. And I just see guys thinking way too much. I mean, there I've had guys tell me too, because we we have guys, we our guys go to Cape Cod and crush. They're Cape Cod all-stars, they're this, they're that. And then they they come back to Carolina and they're hitting like 260. And I just had a dude tell me John Gilreath, who just finished up, who was a pitcher, but I asked him about like Noah Campbell. I don't know if you recall him. Yeah, but yeah, he, yeah, he would go to the yeah. Cape and crush, and he'd come back to USC and hit like 230. And I'm like, does he prefer hitting with a wood bat? Is he – like, what's going on? He said, dude, Kingston's just really hard to play for. He just – he's like, the environment he creates, it's tough. Like, it's really, really, really tough. And, I mean, on one hand, you can say, well, you know, kids should be tougher and all that, but it's just like, dude, then Adrian, you see a guy like Brennan Malone leave, who I love Brennan Malone's game – I knew his dad really well. I, I felt like Brennan Malone had all American type potential. Hit 150 at Carolina. He goes to Oregon. He's all Pac-12 this year. Hit like 330 with double digit bombs. Like, so what changed? You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, how, how much did the swing really change? Right? I, or is it where you? And there's at? multiple guys. Like, there's multiple cases of that happening. Guys leave hitters specifically, and they're so much better off. You know what I mean? Like. Dude, and I mean, like I said, I've heard accounts from like Braylon Wimmer, one of our top guys, that he doesn't like Kingston. Like, it's just, I, I don't know, man. Like, I'm not in the locker room every day, but I, I just, it, what it sounds like to me is that it's just not an environment created for guys to to succeed. I think it's all just mental. Man. I mean, you, you, again, you know, hitting is mental. It just is. Hitting is mental. Like, I mean, I, I think you know, by now, if you've been playing since you were three years old, your swing is your swing, unless you right, do a right. complete overhaul for a right. year. Right. Right, so you're talking about the kid that went to Oregon. He goes hits three thirty double digit bombs. 
Yeah. Again, is it the pitch? his swing doesn't look different to me? That's than what I'm saying. Not, like, not that maybe maybe he added a little more leg kick, but it's the same swing. Well, that's that's, that's, that's what I'm getting at, right? Yeah. It, it could be an environment thing. It could be a a timing thing, right? Yeah. Where they added a leg kick and nobody at Carolina saw it, right? Where hey, you need to add a leg kick to have some more rhythm and timing. If you don't, this is the one thing I can tell you as being a coach. If you don't know your players. And you don't know where, where they succeed and versus what pitchers they succeed against, you cannot win. Yeah. Right? Because then that means you can't put a lineup together and you're facing a guy that's 94, 98, and you don't know who can fucking hit fastballs and who can. Yeah. Right. So that, a lot of it is about knowing your players, right? And and I think the best coaches know their guys. Yeah. And and and, and, yeah, and that, that was one thing I did I didn't really love that Kingston would say is, you know, they would the media would ask him, like, you know, is is it uh you know, what is it about, you know, this weekend y'all hit well and this weekend you didn't. And he's like, you know, it's, well, just, it just comes down to the matchups and there's certain guys. And I like, I hear what he's saying, but it's like, well, you can't just say, well, some days we're just going to be overmatched and we just can't fucking hit. Well, you got to figure out how to hit. I mean, you got to hit. It's just, you have to hit. You can't just say, well, you know, the matchup's just not good. The matchup's never good when the guy's throwing 98 miles an hour. You got to figure it out. You just have to figure it out. We've never had a favorable matchup. They're, they're, yeah, their job is to make the matchup not in your favor. That is the entire point. <laughs> like you can't just say like, "Oh well, you know, just we don't we don't hit these kind of guys well." It's like, well, they're all throwing ninety five. So if you don't hit those guys well, you ain't hitting anybody. I mean, well, who's, who's the guy in charge of hitting there? Uh, I, you know, Kingston's a Kingston's the hitting guy, and I think uh, the guy they brought in from Texas A and M, Kaye, Coach Kaye. I think he's a. Uh, yeah, he's the guy, but I, I mean, I, I don't know exactly. Kingston's supposed to be like a hitting guru, man. I don't think he touches pitching. Um, so, is it when you watch him? When you watch him play, is there a an approach? Is there a right a two strike approach? Is there a three one approach? Do no, dude, I, well, here, here's what's funny: we have the two strike approach that you guys had, but we just don't hit bombs. <laughs> See, I don't give a shit if you want to swing out of your shoes at two strikes. I watched D'Angelo Mack do it. Smoke would do it. Dish. They hit bombs though. That's the difference. Like, well, that goes back to recruiting. Then don't, 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 don't send a guy out there that hits four homers all year and tell him to come out of his shoes with two strikes. Like, well, fuck correct. That, so right? everybody's different. Everybody's <laughs> yeah. different, right? Not everybody you know, has that freedom. Not everybody gets I mean, that freedom. Brother, last year they hit a bunch of bombs, didn't they? Oh yeah, we 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 lived and died by the home run last year. Yeah, and yeah. now they went completely. And this year, no, not at all. We we Josiah Seitler led us in home runs. I mean, dude, outside of that, it was. How many balls did he hit? He hit – I think I want to say he hit 15. I mean, he had a good year. And he was playing on a bum ankle like the last month of the season. So, uh, yeah, he had a – I think he hit 15, I want to say. But, yeah, I mean, we're – you know, the difference is like you're saying, man, like a guy like Witt, he didn't hit a bunch of homers, but he was a great fucking hitter. He could bunt. He knew how to get on base. Like, you don't – I mean, we just – we're all about hitting bombs. That's it. That's all we're trying to do. His junior year, he hit 14. Yeah, that's true too. I mean, right, so it's yeah. he had the capability to do it again, and, and but he can also go backside and hit a base hit. Yeah, right. Fifteen home runs is what Seitler did. Fifteen. Wit was a kind of do it all type of guy, right? So and so was Jackie, right? And I thought Walker was too, right? I mean, I, I remember watching Walker his freshman year with two strikes. He was a toughest guy to get out with two strikes. Hmm. He was a freshman. He was a freshman dude hitting foul balls, foul balls, fighting, spoiling. Yeah. Dude, Walker, Walker looked like a seasoned hitter from the jump. From the gap. I, I don't I don't feel like, you know, most guys have like that 
they go they they have that freshman adjustment type of he I don't feel like he ever had that. He just remember he sat he sat for a little bit. Yeah. He took he took he took Ebert's job. Right. Well, I mean, a lot of things panned yeah. out. And for me, <laughs> right. I Walker made some errors against East Carolina. I moved to third. Yeah. They moved him to first. So a lot of things ended up yeah. panning yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. To get me in the lineup. Um, so I'm not gonna complain. But yeah. but to 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 Walker's credit, brother, he in, in the fall, I had never seen that. A freshman come in and look like he belonged right away, right? Mm. And I, I think that's the difference in, in other programs where and not not to because I'm in Miami, so I'm watching Miami. I know a lot of guys that are there. I recruited some of those players. They had a lot of freshmen playing that are not Christian Walkers, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They're not that type of kid where that guy needs to come in and be a, a freshman and play every day because mm-hmm. he's going to be a dude, right? No, those guys should be sitting for a year, mm-hmm. right? And then you got older guys that are on the bench at Miami and you're playing younger guys who are struggling, you can't have freshmen in the lineup, six or five, six, five to six freshmen in the lineup. Mm-hmm. That can't happen unless you have a Jackie, a Wig, a Christian Walker, and those guys are all freshmen. Yeah. Then you know those guys all played as freshmen, right? Mm-hmm. But if, if, if they're phenoms, they should be in the lineup. Mm-hmm. But if they're not phenom, phenoms and they, they need to develop, they can't be playing, man. And yeah. it's just a difference that I've seen. I, I watch a lot of games, and, brother, I see the guys in the SEC. They're built like grown men. I watched Tennessee play the other day, and dude, it looked like a beer league on how big and juiced up. I'm not saying these guys are sauced up, but right, how right. big and strong and physical mm-hmm. they are. Mm-hmm. And then I watched, you know, FIU that's here in, in, in Miami and, and University of Miami, lean, athletic guys, mm-hmm. but dude, they're not strong, right? And 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 that's that's been the dude. Nick Ebert before the games, he used to bench press two twenty five for warming up to warm up. I'm like, Nick, what the fuck are you doing? He, he's a monster. He was a monster. Monster. <laughs> he was right? a monster. So there, there were guys, again, if you watch the lineup that, that, that Tanner constructed, there was guys that were hitting for home runs. There were guys that were singles guys. There were guys that were situational guys like me, Mooney, uh, Bobby Haney, Kyle Enders. We were, all, we were all situational hitters. That's what we were. When the time came, we needed the bunt. If we needed to hit and run, we hit and ran. If we needed to run, shit, we hit a home run. Right, so they, they, they did a great job, Holbrook and, and Tanner, of constructing a lineup that was kind of tailored to win different style of ball games, mm. right? And, and ultimately, that's how you want to recruit. Yeah. Right? You want to be able to bring in a guy that can hit 340, 400, mm. right? You want to bring a guy that can hit fucking 20 bombs, right? And then you got to sprinkle in some of these guys like Notre Dame has, some of these scrappy little guys that are going to help you win games. Right. And I think if there was a mixture of last year's Carolina team and this year's team, mm-hmm. maybe it would have fit better offensively. Um, because I think they went completely to the other, other side of the spectrum. Yeah. Right. Where now it wasn't all about power. Right. Yeah. But because can- at least last year's team was fun to watch. Because right, they, you right. know, you, you always had the threat to go yard. This year was last year's offense without the pop, which means it was just, it was boring a lot of the time. I mean, we we gotta the, the biggest thing with kind of baseball right now. We, we gotta get out of this mode where Adrian, I'm watching a game, and if we're going to the seventh inning or later down three runs, it feels like we have no chance. And like that, that's just you shouldn't ever be in that position. Like three runs feels like, and 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 I'm not. I see it on the weekends where Carolina's down three runs, maybe four runs, and you're throwing your fourth or fifth best bullpen option. And what it's screaming to me is 
there's no point in throwing our best guy because we don't feel like we can come back anyways. Right. It's almost like you're waving the white flag. Well, let's let's save our better guy for tomorrow. Maybe we'll have a lead in the seventh. And like that is just a terrible way to approach things in my mind because well, you're you, right. you're, you you're don't right. trust your bats to hey let's get a little three run rally two run rally we'll, we'll we'll chip away and we'll go win a game in the ninth like you don't feel like you can do that and you got to be able to win ball games that way you're gonna have to at some point I mean remember we're we're at we as players when I played right we're watching our head coach right if our head coach isn't all in right and in the six he's bringing in a guy who's who's a slap dick who's never pitched before and he's throwing fucking two innings yo what are you doing we're still in this thing, right? So that's the biggest thing, right? The players are watching the head coaches, and is there a panic in them, right? Are, are, are we still going to compete? Um, and, and there's a lot of things. Again, it's, it's not just Carolina, but um, there, there's a lot of, of programs that are like this, right, where, where you're, you're watching games and you're scratching your head. You're like, what, what's that matchup? Mm-hmm. I've seen guys bringing a righty to face a guy who's righty slider dominant, and you just pulled your lefty. I don't, I don't understand. I don't, I don't get it. Oh, yeah. I don't, right. And, 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 I, and I'm like, damn, maybe they see something that I don't, and I'm not experienced enough to see it. And I'm like, dude, but I've been, you know, around the game for a long time. Right. That's not a good move. I, I don't care what you think. Right. And again, the play, the coaches are supposed to know their players. Right. And if you don't, and you don't have a feel of your team, that is the worst thing that can happen. Like for me, brother, this year, we had a brand new class coming in. For the first 20 games, I had no idea what I was going to, on a daily basis, what was going to show up for me, mm. right? Until little by little, you started to see the development, the guys buying in, the young freshmen competing. And, brother, we got hot at the right time, um, which you want to do at the end. And it was, it was amazing to watch. Um, finally, at the end, I saw, damn, okay, I can let these guys play, mm. right? And, and towards the playoff, I did that. And it was so fun to watch. And that's ultimately what you want to do as coaches, right? Be able to just write a lineup and get out of the way and just let these guys be dogs, right? Um, and it was, it was a fun year for me, and I learned a lot about myself. And on that note, of course, if you do not realize by this point, we've got the great Adrian Morales on the airways, friend of the show. Adrian, appreciate you taking the time, as always, my friend. You are someone, by the way, I was thinking about this right before we went live. You are someone that, for whatever reason, I think I know the reason, Every time I talk to you, I want to run through a brick wall. And it's because it's because there are those who love baseball for what the game can do for them. And then there are those who love baseball for the game itself. And you, my friend, are someone that when you talk to you, uh, you are someone that loves the game of baseball in and out. It's very evident the way you talk about it. And again, appreciate you taking the time, my guy. It's always a pleasure, truly. Of course, of course, man. It's a pleasure being on here. Um, every time we get to talk baseball and come back to Carolina. Um, it's, it's amazing. And, and you're right, dude, baseball did so much for me, you know, uh, um, discipline. Um, it was, it was, it was my father at some, at, at points in my life. Um, and it just taught me right from wrong. Right. And my mom kept me in the parks. Um, and I love this game, brother. I, if I can have somebody just pay my house and my, and my, I don't need anything else, but playing bait, but coaching, right. I, I don't play anymore. Um, but just being around the game, I got no hobbies. Um, it's my family, my kids and baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been that way since I was little. Um, and I love it, man. I, and I love talking baseball. I, I love watching baseball. I love learning um, because every day you can learn from this game. Um, and, dude, it's a pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. 
Yeah. Adrian, you were talking about a little bit earlier, um, your playing days, of course, and you talked about being a Juco guy and just sort of having to figure it out. You know, you get the slump, hey, go get in the cage, figure it out, what have you. But you mentioned guys like Whit Merrifield, Christian Walker, Jackie Bradley Jr., and we were talking a lot about player development. Of course, you're a coach. How much player development do you feel like Ray Tanner did? Was it something where, because again, I, I'm sure that once Whit, Jackie, and Christian, for example, stepped on campus, like they weren't just big leaguers. You know, they, 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 there had to be some sort of player development um do you feel like tanner in that sense was really hands-on you mentioned he was a little bit more hands-on i guess the coaching staff was with true freshmen versus juco guys like what do you feel like the player development was like when you were at south Carolina? well again so like we told like i told you earlier for for the freshmen for the freshmen on the team holbrook worked a lot with a lot of them and so did uh esposito right where those guys maybe needed to develop some things maybe tweak some things mechanically um for the junior college guys coming in it was, we're bringing you in because you played already for two right. seasons and you need to figure it out. You, you don't need to be babied. You don't need to be coddled. You, you got babied. this. I, I think, right. I think right. it was more along the lines of a mental, um, mm. as far as coaching wise. Um, I think Tanner and the whole staff did such a good job with the Juco guys during my years. Um, when they, and I'm speaking from my experiences there, mm. um, of kind of letting us play, right? And being who we are and not changing anything mechanically. Um, but it was more of a mindset of, hey, you're facing 94, 96 today at Sunny Gray. Um, here's what we need to be looking for. Um, we need to be aggressive at the fastball early, kind of an approach, um, a mindset, you know, a yes, yes, no attack. I remember being in a slump at Ole Miss my, my, my senior year, and I had never heard this before. And Tanner tells me, hey, you need to be yes, yes, no. And, I, I, dude, I was struggling at this point. I had a, I had a, a sprained ligament in my hand. And I was just trying to play through it. And he, go, he goes to me, you need to be yes, yes, no. You're not being yes, yes, no. I go, coach, what do you mean? He's like, you're waiting to see the ball to decide whether you're going to swing. Mm -hmm. It's too late. This guy on the mound is throwing 96. Mm -hmm. You got to be yes, yes, no. You're swinging until it's a ball. Mm -hmm. Dude, my very next two at-bats, I hit a double down the third base line. And I hit a slider or a breaking ball up the middle for a base hit. And, dude, if you watch me coach now and you hear me, all you hear me saying is when I see a guy that's passive, yes, yes, no, yes, yes, no, right? I got guys writing it in markers on their, on their wrist just to remind them, right, of, of an aggressive mindset. Um, and it doesn't mean swing out of your, out of your shoes and swing at bad pitches. Um, you're, you're, you're yes, yes, no at a pitch that you want. Um, and I think that was the difference, right, where mechanically the freshmen needed some help. But for the junior college guys, it was more of a mindset type of thing. Um, and Jackie, Christian, and all those guys, you're right. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't big leaguers, but they were really good, right? I remember, and I, like I told you earlier, I remember Christian Walker, his two, once he gets to two strikes, he would foul pitches off backside to right field. Mm. And that's what you want to do. So you're not chasing any sliders in the dirt. And, he, and I remember in one at bat, I think it was against either Cooper or Dyson, and these are two of our best guys. Mm. And it was foul ball after foul ball after foul ball after foul ball. And I'm, I'm playing second base at this time. I'm like, dude, this guy's pretty good, right? <laughs> um, and and I, he ended up hitting a, a, a hanging slider base hit to left, right? And that was the whole approach, right? You're spoiling fastballs backside, and then you got a hanger, and you were able to stay on it and hit a line drive um, to left field. And he did that also against Clemson when he broke the game open um, and when we eliminated them in, uh, in, in Omaha. He hit that base hit up the middle after they walked Jack, right? So 
you saw that developing in him. Um, for Walker, all I think it was was needed to get his body into better shape. Mm. That's it, dude. Everything else was there since he got on campus. Mm. Right? He looked like a junior when he walked on campus as far as his mindset, his play discipline, his approach. Um, it was beautiful to watch, and he was tough as nails too. So that's that's just another you know notch for him. Mm. Yeah, back to that yes, yes, no approach though, Adrian. I'm sure you as a coach then, you're learning a lot from a way a guy, a guy takes pitches, right? Because if you're – implementing that yes yes no approach like it's going to be a very you're going to it's a very deliberate take it's not going to be a lazy take if that makes sense and, right. and the, yeah. there's got to be a flinch right like if you're facing a guy do we face a guy from Chipola this year in a state tournament we ended up eliminating <laughs> him and he was up to 97 with a, a slider from hell right it looked like a fastball <laughs> the whole way and right, right before it got to the bat it just ran off for a ball it was always a ball Right, but he got a lot of punch outs. Um, we were able to get to the bullpen and win the game. But dude, every when you're facing, especially at the SEC, every take should be almost a check swing. Right, especially if you're geared up, geared up for 94, 95, 96. Some guys now are throwing 100 miles an hour. That guy from Tennessee is up to 104. Right, so every, every swing should be almost a check swing of I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. That's a ball. I'm shutting it down. Mm. Right, but that's the mindset you need to have especially now, right? Back when I played, guys were 94, 95, maybe a six. Now, dude, everybody's running it up 95 to 100 miles an hour. You don't have time, right? So every pitch you need to be thinking about, I'm swinging until it's a ball, right? And, and that's what Coach Tanner did for me that one series that kind of changed my tra tra trajectory that, that year and for my, for my future as a, as a coach. Um, that was huge, right? And, and then you see the difference in guys' approaches, right? Now there's no longer a foul. Right? Now that guy's hitting a two-run bomb to left field, right? Or, or that ball's put in play, line drive over, sec over second base. Right? And, and that's the difference, right? A lot of it is a mindset. Hitting is a mindset. By this time, freshmen and juniors and seniors, their swing is their swing. They've been swinging the same way for, for over 18 years, right? Some guys are over 18 years. I started playing when I was three. Right. So by the time I came into Carolina, my swing was my swing. Right. Now you can you can change things, approaches, your timing mechanism, maybe add a leg kick for more timing and rhythm, uh, maybe move your hands. But your swing is your swing, dude. And and, and ultimately, you, you got to know your players. Right. And um, but that, that's what I think Tanner and all these guys were good at was they knew us. Right. They knew what buttons to push mentally and physically. Now, Adrian, you were part of Gamecocks teams that played the game with some character and some swag and some moxie. And I know you've been watching. I'll ask you, what, what do you think about Tennessee? Obviously, they just got eliminated, and a lot of folks were very pleased to see that, and many people saying the baseball gods will always get you, and maybe the way that Tony Vitello and his crew approached things, some of the antics were questionable. I, I personally, I know a lot of Gamecock fans will hate this, so forgive me. I loved watching them play. I think they were great for college baseball. I, I think – you know, it's a double-edged sword because I do believe in the baseball gods. And eventually, again, the game, there's two types of people. Those who are humbled and those who are about to be. And, and Tennessee got humbled by Notre Dame. <laughs> what did you think, though, about the antics? Do you feel like it's good for the game, bad for the game? I mean, overall, watching them, what did, what did you uh, what'd okay, you think? So I, I, I got mixed feelings about this, right? Because I'm, 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 I coach <laughs> Did you see guys? the guy flicking the bird at the center fielder? That's crossing the line. Right. right? <laughs> The, the other that was wild. Of, right. So the, the other <laughs> antics of, of you pimping a home run, remember these kids are watching what the guys in the big leagues do. Yeah. 
right? So when you got Ronald Acuna doing the LeBron James after he hits a home run, what do you think these yeah. kids are going to do, right? Yeah. So, again, I, I, I want, at least for my, for my guys, I want them to play with a little bit of flair, a little bit of fire. I want them to have fun. But I don't want them to cross the line and be disrespectful, mm-hmm. right? Um, I don't want them before they get to home plate to be taking snapshots, right? Or, right. or, be, or be being clowns, right? I call mm-hmm. it being a clown, right? Brother, you can pimp a home run. You can point at your, at your own dugout. You can get your dugout up. As long as everything is, is, is towards your dugout, mm-hmm. I'm okay with, with, with things. Now, the stuff in the dugout, the mink coats, that's stuff that guys do in the dugouts all the time. Right, the University of Miami puts a guy in a bucket and they and they bring him all around, all across the. So guys do you know dumb things and crazy things in the dugout. I try not to look at what my guys are doing in the dugout. Right on the field, I don't want you even looking or making gestures towards the other team. The only reason I don't want that is because I don't want to wake up a team that's down four, that's dying already, and give them any room. Right, and and that's how I feel. Any antics towards your dugout, you, your fist pumping, your chest pumping towards your dugout, I'm all for it. I like guys that play with energy, uh, passion for the game. Just don't be disrespectful towards the other team. That, that's how I feel. Um, and again, brother, if I was on the coaching staff at Tennessee, I'd probably love it. Right? And when you're against him, you hate it. Right? right? And that's what coaches said about me. I hate that guy. I hate that guy, Morales. Mm. Right? But my, my teammates love me. My coaches love me. Mm. Right? I remember catching a fly ball against Auburn. Um, and this is when I was starting to open up as a player in a sense that my team was starting to know me and we win the series and I catch a fly ball in foul territory and I looked at the crowd and I went out to the crowd and I shushed the crowd, right? So it was just, I, I always played with a chip on my shoulder, um, but I didn't do it towards the dugout. And again, I waited till the end of the game and it was on Sunday where we didn't have to keep anything, <laughs> right? right? So right. I, I just don't like the, the crossing of the lines, the middle finger sticking up, um, you know, the back and forth with guys. And remember, I, I, I'm in a junior college where there's a lot of Hispanic kids. Right. So the umpires can't hear what their guys are going back and forth saying, but I hear it. Mm. I do it. And I tell my guys, hey, why are we doing that? We're up five. Mm. Leave them alone. We're mates. Right. So there's a fine line. I, I, I do like a little bit of a flair. I, I do. I do like that because you need to play with some confidence and some swag. Um but just don't cross the line, the stick in the bird, mm-hmm. all that stuff, pointing in the dugout, looking at the dugout, pumping your chest at the other dugout. I don't like that. Anything towards your dugout, I love it, yeah. right? Because you're getting up and you're, and you're showing your teammates passion and, and you want to be there. Yeah. Cra- craziest antics you recall from, from your time at Carolina, dugout. And of course, you guys had like Michael Roth leading the charge. And it's so funny talking to the older players because they, they talk about how how strict and tough and hard-nosed Ray Tanner was. But I think a guy, of course, like a Michael Roth kind of loosened him up a little bit because things got a little more – things got a little more loose when, when somebody like Roth sort of inserted himself as like the class clown type of vibe and the dugout was a very, very fun place to be. Right. And, and I mean, crazy antics. Remember, Coach Tanner was still tough. Yeah. Right? So he, he wouldn't want you to show up the other team at all. Um, so I don't know about, about crazy antics on the field towards the other team. Um, but I just remember these guys wearing cups for glasses, right? You know, th- <laughs> things like that. I remember um, Wingo and, and, and John Taylor, every time a guy got on first and we bring in John Taylor, he would say, hey, the split aces right here and let's double down on these, on, on this, like talking about gambling, right? And cards, right? And it was just something about 
it almost kept John Taylor loose, right? And, and almost like a fun thing. Um, and I'm and I'm listening to Wingo say this, and I'm like, dude, Wingo, we're not in the casino, chill out, <laughs> right? But the more he said it, and we right. we just kept getting turning double plays, and and Wingo was so good at at keeping things loose in in the infield and with the and with the pitchers, and I was almost like good cop bad cop, right? Where I would go to the mound and punch Forrest Kumas in the chest and say, hey, we need you here. We're behind you. We need you, right? Wingo was the other guy, right? Wingo would keep the pitchers loose. Um, and, and then Mooney and Haney just made every play. Right? They, just, they were just automatic. So, um, But crazy antics like that, I, I've never really seen. I've seen some antics from uh, other ways with, with Sam Dyson and, and our catchers of don't come to the mound, get back and sit down, just give me the ball, go catch. <laughs> Um, you know, I remember one time going to the mound and, and, and sat, sat, I can't remember who the catcher was if it was Brady or, or Enders and Dyson tells him go back, sit down and just catch the ball and I was on my way to the mound with the catcher and I heard him and I got back to the third base uh, to third base and I was like here we go Dyson, I wanted him to know that I wasn't coming to the mound either <laughs> right so um, but dude it, it, was, it was such a loose atmosphere because of Wingo, because of um, Michael Roth but those guys were ultimate competitors, mm-hmm. right? If we were playing cornhole in the, in the locker room. Those guys wanted, were playing it like it was Omaha, mm-hmm. right? They were, they, they were competitors, but that's how they needed to play. They needed to be loose, right? And, and I was the other way around, mm-hmm. right? I needed to play with a chip. I needed to play pissed off. Um, and Tanner knew that. Mm-hmm. Right? Tanner would tell me some stuff when I was, when I was struggling, right? He'd bring me in the office and, and, and you know, a new one, mm-hmm. right? And I would leave and I'm like, I'm going to stick it to this guy, mm-hmm. right? And, and he did that before the regionals when I won MVP. And I, was, I wasn't only trying to beat uh, the, the regional teams. I was trying to stick it to him, mm-hmm. right? Like, dude, I've been your guy all year. I'm meeting in your team in RBIs. Mm-hmm. But he knew exactly what to tell me. He knew exactly what would get me going. And that's why he won two national championships, brother, and he was our leader. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he just knew his guys. Now, obviously, Adrian, you're close to Wingo. Do you ever give him shit? Because from the stories I've heard, you were brought in to be his replacement because he couldn't hit his body weight for the first three years. I, I, I'd like to take credit in saying that I made him better right, by coming <laughs> in, right? Um, but, dude, I remember, I remember that fall, me and him, and we weren't even that tight when I first got there. Obviously, we're both competing for the same job. Um, and he's a junior. I'm a junior. You know, he's got the whole team with him. Right? He, he's a freshman. He's got the whole team, all the fans, right? I only had probably Holbrook, right, who recruited me, um, kind of pulling for me, right? So he made, so his decision was right. Mm-hmm. Um, once I started playing third base, dude, we became like that. And, and we're still like that to this day. And, and he, he came to Miami after our junior year. Uh, we partied down here in Miami. Um, his brother came down here to Miami. You know, I went and stayed a week in, in, in his mom's house, um, but, dude, it, it was almost like we made each other better. And once we were playing opposite positions, we just pushed each other, right? And we helped each other. And we grinded. Brother, I remember, like, long nights, just me and him in the cages. Just we, he was in one cage. I was in the other cage. And we were probably 280, 290 hitters, something like that at Carolina. And we, we knew our role on the team. But we worked, dude, effortlessly together. Um, and we caught a lot of ground balls together. And we spent a lot of time together. Um, at his place in Carolina, at my place, um, partying together. And, and, and I think that's why when, when, when it becomes a family atmosphere and you care so much about your teammates, it's so easy to run through walls for those guys, right? And, 
and you felt that, you know, and through the locker room, you felt that. And, and we all, we got along, right. And it was genuine. Um, and it is a credit to Holbrook, right. He brought in character, character guys and, and the, the culture Tanner had at, at Carolina, right. And, and ultimately you don't have to bring in seven or 10 five-star recruits to win. Right. I mean, I wasn't a five-star recruit. I wasn't even supposed to be playing. Right? I didn't start. Right. Mooney wasn't a five-star recruit. Right. So, you don't, you don't need all of that, but you need to have character guys who want to win, right? And the culture needs to be right. Mm-hmm. You still need the Jackie Bradleys, the Whit Merrifields, the Coopers, the Dysons, you know, the studs, right? The, you know, the, the frontline guys, the faces, but you also need those blue guys, right? And, and the guys that, that are going to bring toughness, they're going to do everything to help your team win. Um, and, and that's what we did. And we, we fed off each other. Now, you're in the coaching seat now, Adrian. Would you say that's the hardest thing to identify in recruiting? Because uh, it's obviously – I mean, you can see a guy throw 98. You can see a guy hit 500-foot bombs. But identifying character, I mean, I think that takes a little bit more digging than just, you know, watching one game. And, and, and it's funny you, you bring that up because I had a, converse, a conversation today with um, uh, an important guy in the business world. Mm. And he told me – he talked to me about – he used to coach Little League and coach travel ball. He wouldn't, he wouldn't even – worry about what the kid was, how good the kid was, right? He knew a lot of the kids that were trying out for his travel ball team were good. He wanted to interview the parents, mm. right? And speak to the parents. And he would get a good assessment of what type of kid he was getting by talking to his parents, right? And dude, now that he said that, I look back at some of the recruits that, that I lost and, and, and went elsewhere and then were cancers at the teams they went to. And when I've spoken to their parents, I, when you talk to parents and you bring the kid and you, and you bring them and you can get a sense for, for the family, it says a lot about the kid. Um, brother, when I, when I get recruits come in and they come by themselves, everybody says, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Right. They tell you what, what you want to hear. Um, and whoever, whoever's, whoever's shopping those kids, whether it's a high school coach or a summer league coach, they want to push for their guy. Maybe they don't know him as well as other coaches, right, or the parents. Uh, but when you talk to the parents, you get a good feel for how the kid is, right? And, brother, we, we were six outs away from, from going back-to-back in the state tournament here in Florida, um, and we have one Division One recruit, right? So that's, that says a lot, brother. We, we, were, we were winning three to two in the eighth, and the game just got away from us from our, from our closer. Um, I mean, ultimately, Central Florida was a better team that day. Um, but we were six outs away from going back to Grand Junction, and I got one Division One recruit, mm. right? A guy that transferred in from FIU who's going to Pitt now, right? So it says a lot about what we're building in Miami Dade and the culture that's there, and it says a lot about what it really takes to win, right? And it's it's getting all those kids, the twenty eight kids, twenty six kids you have, to buy in, right? To the culture, to winning, to the coaching staff, and that's how you win, mm. right? Who who's, who was going to say that it was going to be a big leaguer, right? Coach Tanner tricked us. He would always make us believe that we were the underdogs. Right. Even though we hit 340, 360 every year, he made us believe that we didn't have talent. Right? We know we did, <laughs> but he made us believe that we were always the underdog. Mm. Right? And, and it was a, it's a credit to him, the coaching staff. Um, and we, we played like that. We always played with a chip. Like, we weren't supposed to be there um, for the first year. The second year was completely different. But that first year, he made us believe that. Um, and they did a great job. And, and ultimately, when you're recruiting guys – you got to look at the parents, right? And, and what type of characters, um, the parents, and, 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 and you got to do your homework um, because it, it says a lot about what you bring in. 
right? Recruiting is huge, and a lot of a lot of guys can play, but not everybody's a winner, right? So there 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 needs to you need to find what makes those guys the winners, um, and that's character, man, and, and culture, and, and being a family, and and ultimately that's how you need to recruit. Now I know obviously Adrian, you didn't play in the 2012 season, but you, you think back to the run that you guys started, obviously you went back to back national titles, then it goes into 12 and you get to the final, which I mean, we've talked about this before, but it's so funny. Like that 12 team is just completely forgotten because they didn't win at all, but I mean, they got to a third straight, but that consecutive postseason victories, Mark, and, and I forget the exact number. I think it's like 24, 26, something crazy. Like it'll never be touched. It, it'll never be broken. And I remember sitting there as a fan 2010, it was, we've talked before, it was like the magic of just getting there and winning the first one. 2011 being very much so businesslike. And it became, but you're sitting there and you're watching. And it's just game after game after game, you guys are finding ways to win. And it really did have this feeling of, we can't lose. Like, we, we just, like, what's it like being in the middle of that? Like, I just can only imagine, like, every time you get into a late game scenario, every time you need a big base hit. I mean, you think of 2011 against Florida, and it's like all the numbers and statistics and the odds, they all say they're against you. I think of 2012 in the regional against Clemson, LB Danzler hitting a walk-up. Like, every late-game moment, it's like, we got it. Like, we literally just cannot lose. Like, like what's it like being in the middle of a magical run like that, if you will? Well, you, you don't know you're in it, right? You don't, you don't, <laughs> right. You don't know you're in one, right? And – Tanner and Tanner and the coaching staff would always say the most important innings are the sixth through the ninth. Mm-hmm. We can play clean baseball from the sixth through the ninth, right? He, just, he would just repeat it, right? Almost, almost like it stuck with you once you looked up at the scoreboard and it hit the sixth inning. It's almost like something in your mind, you know, flicked on and said, okay, sixth through the ninth, this is where we make our money, right? And if you go watch it, and if you go back and watch the games, we didn't beat ourselves from the sixth through the ninth, right? We didn't make mistakes. We didn't walk guys. We didn't make any errors. We got the bunts down. We, we made all the plays we needed to make. Um, and, and then once you, you get out of jams for an, a certain amount of games and you're putting those situations over and over, you become comfortable in those situations, right? So it's almost like, yeah, the bases loaded one out. Hey, we've been here before. We've done this before. We've gotten out of it before. It's okay. We got it, right? So there's almost a, a calm, right, that, that, the, that the team had. Um, and it comes back to from the for the coaches, right? And again, knowing your guys, right? Knowing when the bases were loaded, I'm not gonna go get a lefty who maybe leave the ball up with a changeup. No, I'm gonna go get Jose Mata or I'm gonna go get John Taylor, submarine guys who can get me a ground ball. My defense is really good. I'm gonna go get these guys. Mm-hmm. And we knew as infielders when those guys came in, we were gonna get a ground ball. Right? So you were it was almost like we were all on the same plan. Right. It's not like Tanner would go get a guy and we were like, what's this guy doing? Just bringing in this guy. This guy, it's, it's not the matchup. No, everybody knew, hey, this is the perfect matchup. John Taylor and Mata, they're going to get a ground ball to short right here. We're going to get out of it. Right. Or they go get a strikeout guy in Matt Price or Ethan Carter or whoever. Right. And, and they just knew, man. And, and we, we were in it for so many games in the SEC and the grind of the SEC that you just become accustomed to being in those games. Right. I remember against against Vanderbilt, one zero ball game. Um, the whole way through, we faced a minimum. Uh, my junior year uh, at, at Vandy to win the series on a Sunday, right? 
So we were in a, a lot of those situations as, as a team that we had. And, and ultimately, that's what those teams were, right? They weren't the home run hitting teams, right? It was those type of teams, right? Clutch hitting, defense, pitching, timely hits. Um, and once you're in those situations a lot and you can't really practice and train for them, right? You just got to be in them, right? And, and that's why if you bring in a, a freshman class, you want to try to get them as much playing time as you can if they're freshman phenoms, right? And those are your guys for the future, right? Because you want those guys in it so when they're juniors, they've been in it for two years already, right? So credit to Carolina. They had Braswell in there, right? He was a shortstop for them all year, right? And he closed for them. Um, so that kid's only going to get better and better and better, right? Um, so it, it, if you're in those situations often and you've been successful, right, you become accustomed to being in them. And, and it's a comfortability factor that you get. Um, and and, and then you, there's no more nerves, right? You, you're just playing the game. Um, and that's ultimately what you want your team to do, right? It's to play nerve-free, right? And those are the teams that, that, that win games, man, especially late. Yeah. You mentioned Jose Mata and John Taylor. I'm just laughing, though, because, it, dude – I don't know if you'll remember it. He had 50 appearances in 2011. I mean, it was like death taxes and John Taylor's going to pitch today. Yeah. I mean, that's just – I mean, I don't know exactly how many games were played in 2011, but it was probably like 65. He pitched in 50 of them. I mean – Brother, those guys are so uncomfortable. <laughs> Great. I, I was going to ask you, do you – you know, I don't feel like guys like Mata and Taylor exist in like everybody just throws a hundred. Do you think? Do you think we'll ever see those sub guys come back, or was that just like a a pocket of baseball history where those guys flourished? I think with everything that's going on now, right, with, with, with the scouts are looking for and the high velo and all of this stuff, that's what they're looking for. Do I think that there's still roles for those guys? Yes, yeah. right, because you just said it, right? Because it's guys such a different stuff. look, right? I mean, it's just it's such a different, a different look. look. Yeah, it's a different look, right? So you're facing a, a righty who's who's ninety four to ninety eight. And then you go bring in a guy like John Taylor that's throwing submarine or Mata that's throwing from down there. You have to yeah. completely make an adjustment to everything, right? Well, maybe with the guy that's 95, you're looking to get on top of fastballs up in the zone. Now you got to be looking down. Now that ball that's running two seamed in, the slider that's a frisbee that starts as a strike and ends up as a wild pitch. Mm. Brother, that, that's tough to hit. So at least for me as a coaching staff, I want to be able to have guys that have different looks. Right, I can bring in a, a, a little lefty that's crafty that, that's going to get a bunch of lefties out, that's going to get weak contact, right? And at my level, it's different, right? But you want to be able to have guys that got different looks, different arm angles, right? Different type of pitches, right? So you're not running out there, everybody that's 94, 97, but it's the same thing over the top and then over the top breaking ball, and you're working the top of the zone, right? That's there's no you're not, you're not changing anything, right? You know, you're facing three of those guys in a day you're facing ultimately the same guy, hmm. right? So what's the difference? What, what adjustments do hitters need to make? Hmm. You, you, you make that eighth inning, ninth inning at bat very comfortable, right? So there, there's still room for that. The guys need to take chances and not just be so tone deaf on velo, 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 velo. Hmm. You got to be able to get outs, brother. And I, I want guys on the, on the team that are going to get outs. And John Taylor and Jose Mata did it. Jose Mata snaked eight wins his junior year. Right. So nobody, <laughs> no, he doesn't get talked about much. Yeah. Right. And he had eight wins. He was number, he was second on the team hmm. over Dyson. Right. He come in on a Sunday, throw the fifth through the seventh, and he got the win. Right. So it, it's it, again, brother, it, that coaching staff, what they did, 
they made they pushed all the right buttons they made all the right moves they recruited the right guys and everything just kind of gelled right um but i think i think baseball is starting to change a little bit um and i've spoken to some scouts down here in miami about not just going after the guy that's 100 miles an hour right maybe adding a guy that has pitchability that's got four pitches that everything moves um you know we, we faced a guy last year that was the ace now at Ole Miss, uh, the Lucy, uh, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and dude, he was at Northwest Florida last year. He was 89 to 92. He was the toughest arm we faced because he could throw the slider at any time. His fastball had two seam run. He had a changeup. He worked fast. That guy came down here and beat Arizona mm-hmm. in game one of the, of the, of the regional. Right. So, it, it, it says a lot about what, what they're doing at Ole Miss, right? Where they added a guy who's 89-92, and he's their ace. Yeah. Now, it, it's – it's the game has changed, certainly. I, I wanted to get your take on that, too, on the hitting side of things because power – it's all about power. I think the baseballs are probably juiced, to be honest with you. I don't know if you saw, like, the, it was a record in the regionals for – I mean, we're seeing games that are – I don't know if you watch any of the Stillwater regional. We got games that are, like, 21 to 16, no. like, looking like football scores out here. My question, my question to you though is this, Adrian, Coach Morales, the bunt. Why can college hitters not bunt, Adrian? Nobody can bunt. The the bunt. I, I'll tell you this: it is worth. I tell people this all the time: it is worth the price of admission to any college game to tr- watch college hitters try to bunt. It is. It's hysterical. It's truly hysterical. Well, so you you, you got to practice that, right? And and if you're not doing it in high school, right, and and it's not being preached throughout the whole fall. When the time comes, you can ask the, that guy to do it. Yeah. And I've seen that, right, where a guy will bunt somebody over and the guy's never bunted all year. Right now he pops up a bunt and the catcher catches it. Mm. Well, how do you expect the guy to get it down if he's never done it all year and you, you don't even practice it? Mm. Right? So, again, dude, you and, – and, 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 and I learned this from Vanderbilt, right, because, dude, if you watch this play when I was there in, in South Carolina, we bunted. Mm. Oh, yeah. I yeah. bunted a lot, yeah. right? I didn't want to bunt, but I bunted a lot. I wanted to stay in the lineup. <laughs> and when you watch Vanderbilt, they had their uh, – they beat us uh, in the SC tournament. They had their three-hole and four-hole safety squeeze. Three and four-hole hmm. safety squeeze, right? And then I got reporters asking me after the game, were you guys not prepared for the safety squeeze? So I'm like, well, we didn't – We didn't credit to Vandy. We didn't think they were going to bunt with their third and fourth batter, Right. But they did a good job of preparing their guys so when the time comes, they're able to do it, mm-hmm. right? I don't like the bunt. I never liked the bunt as a player, right? I got guys that bunt on my team, mm-hmm. right? The certain guys. Brother, you're a 290, 300 hitter in Juco. You're a bunter too, mm-hmm. right? Especially if you're the nine-hole guy to get, get the guy over for, for the leadoff guy, right? So and I learned it from Tanner. Percentages dictate what you do. Right, but everybody's caught up on on the analytics of that bunning should not happen. Right? Are you giving up an out, brother? If that guy is over twenty and he's your nine hole, yeah, he's hitting three forty with twenty bombs, but he's not hitting right now. Why can't you bunt that guy over for the guy that's hot? Right? All you're doing is putting pressure on the defense. Hmm. If the whole college baseball isn't practicing bunning, do you think that they're practicing uh, uh, bunt defense? No, so why not put some yeah. pressure on the defense and yeah. bunt the ball, right? Yeah. Now, it, it, it dictates, right? You're not going to bunt with Christian Walker. Mm. 
mm. even though I've seen Tanner do it. Yeah. I, I think you just make a great point too. I know we've talked about this before, but like analytics, the game's so analytically driven, but you also have to have baseball instincts. And I mean, we've, I'm not going to name any names. I think people can know who I'm talking about, but we we've seen situations where like, yes, there are moments where the numbers tell you something, but you just got to have some baseball instinct about you to know maybe that's not the best decision in that moment. Like it's got to be a, it's got to be a balance. If you're purely just analytically driven, you're going to make mistakes. You, you just are. The numbers don't tell everything. They don't, they don't. And, but it's easy to use it as a scapegoat. Right. 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 Where this guy's hitting 400 against lefties. Okay. I, I understand. I understand the numbers and the numbers are good. The, the problem is that you need to have a feel right for the game and for your players. Right. A lot of the times, the guy on the mound dictates what you do, right? You're facing the guy. Ben, is it Ben Joyce from Tennessee? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you better be able to bunt that day, <laughs> right? If you get a leadoff walk, that next guy better be able to bunt because the chances are you're not hitting that guy, right? So a lot of times the guy on the mound dictates what you're doing at the plate. I don't like the bunt when I'm facing a guy that's very hittable. Mm. Where we can crush this guy. He's a comfortable at bat. I'm not bunting, right, even if it's my nine hole. But if it's a guy on the mound that I know this is going to be a three to two ball game, we're going to try to score early, put some pressure on them. We're going to bump. We're going to try to hit and run. We'll do those things. But again, it goes back to having some feel, right? And I think I've talked to you about this before where the numbers don't tell the whole story, right? Mm-hmm. You can put the rap soda track man on, on your bullpen arms. And that's just, for instance, let's say Matt Price has the best slider uh, uh, spin rate on a slider, Right. Let's not say Matt Price because I'm going to use a profanity that I don't want Matt Price to be linked to. Mm-hmm. Let's just say another guy, right? Just another name, right? Adrian Morales, right? Best spin rate on the team, but he's got no balls, right? And the bases are loaded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he might have the best spin rate, and the guy on that team doesn't hit sliders, but how do I know this guy's going to throw, throw these strikes, mm-hmm. these sliders for strikes, and he ain't going to bury three of them, right? Let me go get the second guy that's got pretty good spin rate, but is my ballsy guy. Right, the guy's not going to phase him, right? And again, like we've talked about this before, it goes back to knowing your guys, right? So the numbers don't tell the whole story; they can help you a little bit, but ultimately you got to go with your gut, right? And go with with the guys that got you, then the guys that you trust. I'm big on that, brother. If I don't trust you, I don't care what your stuff looks like. I need to be able to trust you to be able to give you the ball in a key situation. Because if we lose, and the guy I trust is in the bullpen, I will be wearing that, and I won't be able to sleep for about a week and a half, right? And, that, and I do not want that, mm-hmm. right? And, the, and your team knows, right? They trust this guy, might not have the best stuff, but they trust this guy to be ballsy, mm-hmm. right? And if you bring in a guy that they trust too, they're gonna play, they're gonna play behind you, right? And, and, and there's a mix, right? So the numbers are good. I don't think it, it tells the whole story, like you said. Adrian, I'm going to get you out of here, man. I know we've been going for a while, and it's always a pleasure to chat with you. And I feel like I've always got to leave some things on the table for our next conversation because I just truly love doing these. But uh, last thing, fun question for you. You had 96 RBI during your two-year career in Columbia. What's the greater number, the number of RBIs you had or number of uh, pitchers of beer you drank at Village Idiot in that same time span? <laughs> so I, was, I, wasn't a, I wasn't a beer guy at Village Idiot. Um, they didn't have Hennessy, so I was more of a um, – it's a – I can remember Derek used to pour it for me. Uh, ginger 
and something else, man. I don't even know what the what the liquor was. You drink what's it? What's, uh, what's vodka? Gin, uh, I know vodka it was a darker uh, whiskey ginger. No, no, I don't know, man. <laughs> All I know is that I'm stumped. It used to be it used to be a double, um, mm. but it, it was it was a good drink. They didn't have Hennessy when we won the national championship. Village Idiot went out and bought a bottle of Hennessy. So when we got back, I was able to drink some of that. Right. So those, those was it was it specifically for you? Yes. Per request, Adrian Morales' request, Brian Glenn came through with the Hennessy. And it was Brian and Derek, the bartender. Derek was huge. Right. And as soon as he see me walk in, he had my double ready. Right. So, um, brother, it was there were good times, and and it was again we took a cab home every time. Right. Right, we were responsible pre-Uber days. This was pre-Uber pre -Uber days, days yeah. right? Yeah. When you had to ride the taxis, right? Yeah. Um, but man, it, it was it was good times, and we we never we never did it during like season and stuff like that, right? We we always did it after things ended, right? Where the weekend was over, okay, let's go let's go party, mm. right? And 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 I think that says a lot about the team, mm. right? Of of let's focus on this, then we can go have our fun, mm. right? And Coach Tanner here's this interview; he's gonna kill me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, like you said, not in season, after you win it all. Right. Could be worse. Could be worse. Right, right. Adrian, always a pleasure, my man. I appreciate you taking the time. Like I said, it's great to see you doing well, obviously, in your coaching career. And, I, you know, I know fans hearing this interview, and anytime they hear your, uh, you know, hear you on the show, it's it's just great memories going back to 10, 11, and that great run under Coach Tanner. And hopefully more of that soon, for sure, in Columbia. Yeah, man, pulling for those guys, man. I, especially for Wingo, he's on the staff. Mm -hmm. Um I hope that I hope I hope they turn it around. I'm, and I'm always pulling for those guys, man. That, that, that's my second home. And and I want those guys to do well. You know, I love the program. I love the fans. Um, and it, it was a fun two years. And even when I was there as a student assistant, they always treated me with respect. Um, and it was awesome. Mm, for sure. Appreciate hey, you having me on the show, brother. Yeah, man, absolutely. He's Adrian Moran. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up Show. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Thank <laughs> you.